Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you want to be sure to never miss an episode of the podcast, I encourage you to follow us with your favorite podcast listening software. I also want to encourage you to check out our other podcast, and this week I'm highlighting the Old Time Radio Superman show. For more than 10 years, I went through every episode of, of the Superman radio series and covered all of the serials that were complete enough to be a full story, as well as all the half-hour episodes. And you can go with me on that journey at OTR Superman, where we have more than a thousand episodes for your listening pleasure. You'll find all Superman battling all sorts of villains, from racketeers and gangsters to ex-Nazis and alien overlords. And it's all available over at otrsuperman.com, and you can find all of my podcasts over at uh, greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for today's episodes of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air dates, October the 10th and October the 11th, 1955, and the title is The Molly K. Manor Parts 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. Dave Borger, Johnny, Marine and Maritime Casualty. Hiya, Dave. Awful. I'm in mourning, Johnny, for Molly Kay. Oh, sorry, Dave. You have my sympathy. Save it. This is money, not sentiment. We had her insured for a cool half million. You mean dames come that high these days? No, but a rusty old tub of a freighter does. What happened? She steamed out of San Francisco Bay, bound for Yokohama, 20 miles off the Golden Gate. She upended and departed this world forever. Real sudden, huh? Too sudden. I don't like sudden things. Why don't you fly out there, Johnny? Take a look at the remains. Sure, as long as you're willing to pay for it. You're hired, but be careful. Don't get yourself killed. While I'm on an expense account? Dave, you've got a lot to learn. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office, Marine and Maritime Casualty Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during the investigation of the Molly K matter. Item 1, 164.50, plane fare and incidentals, Hartford to San Francisco. It was mid-morning when I landed, and the city on the seven hills glittered under the bright sun like a fabulous hoard of jewels. A cool, crisp breeze was driving the usual night's bank of fog out toward the open sea and the clear waters of the bay danced and sparkled from the touch of the wind. It was a day and a place that felt lusty with life and the joy of living. And yet 36 hours before, the freighter Molly Kay, with a crew of 43 men, had steamed out across this same bay, passed under the high arch of the Golden Gate Bridge, and disappeared into the gray oblivion of the Pacific, gone down to her death. Item 2, $1.55, local transportation. Limousine to my hotel where I barely had time to check in, then a taxi down to the foot of Market Street where Harbor Master Tim O'Rourke 
A grizzled old veteran of the port was about to preside at a preliminary board of inquiry in the ferry building. All right, boys, all right, let's have it quiet. Now, all of us know what we're here for, but just to make it official, I have to announce that this is the preliminary hearing of a board of inquiry investigating the loss by sinking of the vessel Molly Kay. Needless to say, for you that know me, the proceedings are going to be pretty informal. Yeah, you can be sure of that. All right. Now, the bare facts seem to be go something like this. The Molly Kay cleared her berth at Pier 29 at 10, 12 p.m. night before last. Destination, Yokohama. Primary cargo, grain. The Molly Kay was a steel-hulled Class C freighter, oil-fueled, with a steam turbine drive. She was under the command of her owner, Captain Edgar Brawley of San Francisco. Now, is, uh, is Captain Brawley present? I am. But if you're expecting me to test... Well, later, some... Captain, later. All right. At 10.38, the Molly Kay dropped her pilot and proceeded on out to sea. Fog conditions were reported at the time as medium to dense. Then at 12.49 a.m., the radio operator on duty at the point beneath a Coast Guard station picked up the first distress signal. Now I'll call the first witness, the officer in charge of the rescue operation, Lieutenant Commander Barton Fields of the United States Coast Guard. Will you take the witness chair, Commander? I'll raise your right hand, Commander. Do you swear the testimony... The inquiry moved along, the whole truth but not much came out that wasn't already known. The Coast Guard commander testified that five minutes after the first distress call, the Molly Kay had sent a second SOS, stating she was sinking rapidly by the bow. According to the message, the vessel had struck a submerged derelict. The captain and crew had taken to the lifeboats, and two of these were picked up immediately. A third boat, missed in the heavy fog, made shore and beached under its own efforts. Now, according to this report, two men, William Mack, machinist, and Benny Wong, steward, are still missing. Now, further search has now been abandoned, and these men are presumed to be dead. I think that's all, Commander. Thank you. Now, will radio operator G.A. Beck take the witness chair? While the testimony went on, I studied the teletypes from the home office that I'd picked up at the hotel. Again, nothing much that wasn't already known, with a few exceptions. A stray fact or two, a couple of odd details, nothing else. But the seeds of suspicion are pretty small, and if they're kept well watered, sometimes they grow up into nice, tall, blooming hunch plants. Then Chairman O'Rourke called the witness I was most interested in. Will Captain Edgar Brawley please take the chair? The man who stood to collect a half million dollars if the sinking was legitimate. But I was pretty sure it wasn't. Raise your right hand, Captain. You swear that the testimony you are about to give is the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I do. You can sit down. He was a man about 50, maybe older, but he had the body of a young bull. Hard, stubborn, belligerent. He figured to be a tough lad to tangle with in court or on the deck of a ship. Now, Captain, will you tell us what happened in your own words? Starting where? From the time you dropped the pilot. Uh, unless something happened earlier that might have some bearing on this case. There wasn't nothing happened earlier or later that got any bearing on it. We hit a submerged derelict, that's all. 
Now, what more do you want to know? Your story, Captain, just for the record. Be no different from what you've already heard from all the rest of them here. This is an official board of inquiry, Captain, whether you like it or not. I'll be the judge of what's important and what isn't. Yes, sir. Well, after we dropped the pilot, I set a course north 77 west, aimed to bring us into the main shipping lane by daybreak. Then I assigned the watches, had the deck gear stowed away, opened the trip log, got ready to settle down for the night's run. Normal procedure, in other words. That's what I told you. There wasn't nothing that Go was Go on with your story, Captain. My first officer took over the bridge, like he already told you he did, and I went to my quarters. What was the weather like at the time? Same as it had been all evening, so foggy you couldn't see a hundred feet from the bridge. <clears throat> and you took all the usual precautions prescribed for such a condition? Of course. Go on. Well, it was a while before midnight. I was still in my quarters, awake in my bunk when she hit. It was a big crash, like a torpedo had took us, and the lights went out. We started losing the headway, and a couple of minutes later, the engineer cut the engines and pulled his fires. Water had busted right through number one and number two bulkheads and was rising fast in the boiler room. Must have ripped half the bottom out of her. What did you do next? I called the engine room gang on deck and... Well, then I... I give the order to abandon ship. She sank less than ten minutes after we got the boats on. Well, I... I guess that's about the size of it. <clears throat> Submerged derelict in the shipping lane... It was an accident, pure and simple. All right, Captain. I guess there's nothing Mr. more... Chairman. Can... Mr. Dollar? I wonder if I could have your permission to ask the Captain a few questions. Well, it's kind of unusual, but like I said, this is an informal hearing, so, um... Captain Brawley, Mr. Dollar is a special investigator for the insurance company that holds the policy on your ship. His position here is unofficial, of course, and you're under no obligation. It's up to you. Well, I've told you all I know about it. I got nothing to hide if that's what you're talking about. Not one single thing. I'll... All right. Let him ask till he's blue in the face. Go ahead, Mr. Dollar. Thank you. Captain Brawley, we've heard quite a lot about your last sailing for Yokohama night before last. But there hasn't been any mention of the first time you started to leave, a little over a week ago. Had no bearing on this. Maybe not, but let's talk about it anyway. According to my report, you were six hours out of San Francisco when you radioed the Coast Guard to stand by. You had a cargo fire in number two hole. That's right. A little while later, you told them you had the fire under control, but you were returning to port. Well, I wanted to check the damage, make sure the ship was sound. Yeah, so you laid up in harbor for a week. You filed a claim with our home office in Hartford for estimated damages of $6,300. Come to more. But when the company appraiser called at your office on Pier 29, you refused him admittance to the ship, and an hour later, you wired Hartford and canceled your claim. That's right. A $6,300 loss, fully covered by insurance, and you suddenly decided not to make any claim for it? I'd have lost more if I had claimed it. How do you figure that? Because I had found out that I'd have to lay up here for another two weeks while that sneaking company of yours checked the facts, as they called it. I had a cargo on board. I had a delivery date ahead of me. Couldn't afford to waste two weeks. What caused the fire? I don't know. Who, uh, who found it and reported it? Uh... Man named Bill Mack. 
All right, all right. He was one of the two men that drowned when the ship went down. What of it? What are you trying to make out of it? All right, let's quiet down now. Let's have order in here. Now, at the time of the accident, Captain, the sinking, we're led to believe that it was a little foggy out that night. You doubt it? No, not in the least. That's why I can't quite understand how you managed to see that, uh, that submerged derelict. I didn't see it. Then who did? Nobody, as far as I know. That fog, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. There was no fog the next day. The Coast Guard searched the area for hours, and they didn't see it either. Well, it probably sunk when we hit it. it. Just what are you getting at, Dollar? How do you know there was any submerged derelict, Captain? What do you mean? You said there was a big crash. All the crew members described the accident as a sudden hard shock. In fact, one of them, Mr. Hawkins there, who was up for it on bow lookout, said it felt like a blast, like something... Oh, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. Uh, Mr. Hawkins... I didn't say it was no blast. What I said was it just kind of felt like one. You ain't going to go putting no words like that in my mouth, Mr. Dollar. You ain't going to get me mixed up in this. Mixed up in what, Mr. Hawkins? In this here, whatever's going on, or whatever you're trying to claim is going on. I just don't know nothing about it, about anything. And I, I just don't want anybody putting words in my mouth, that's all. Claiming I said something I didn't. I, I, well... Just what exactly is it you're hitting at, Mr. Dollar? Not hitting, Captain, I'm saying it. I don't think there was a derelict. I think the Molly K was sunk by an explosive charge placed in a hole. Are you accusing me of that? I'm not accusing anybody, not yet. All right, all right, now let's settle Are down. Are you claiming I'd sink my own ship just to collect a few lousy bucks worth of insurance? I don't know who did it, Captain Brawley, but I'm going to find out. And whoever it was, they're in it up to their neck. Two men died when the Molly K went down, so this thing's a whole lot worse than just a crooked insurance racket. It's a case of cold-blooded murder. <laughs> Outside, after the hearing adjourned, I turned west and walked along the Embarcadero. I looked at the crowds and the sunshine and the seagulls out over the bay. It was all brisk and bright and cheerful. But I felt cold in the pit of my stomach. They were scared in there, all of them, scared to death. The smell of fear in that hearing room was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And I meant to find out why. Johnny Deller. You don't know me, Mr. Dollar, but you're going to. Well, I can hardly wait. You won't have to wait. I want you to meet me tonight. Where? On the waterfront, nine o'clock. Yes? It's dark down there at nine. It might be dangerous. Are you scared? Strange women always scare me. Where on the waterfront? Pier 29. Pro That's where the Molly Kay was birthed before she sank. Molly Kay was my mother. Meet me at nine? I don't know. Blind dates never work out for me. I'm always sorry afterwards. You won't be sorry this time. Is that a promise? That's a promise. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, present location San Francisco, to the Home Office Marine and Maritime Casualty Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Molly K matter. Expense account continued.
Item three, $4.65, food. I needed it. It had been a rough day, rough from the standpoint of legwork. I'd covered most of the usual sources and usual angles, and for all I learned, I might as well have stayed in bed. The freighter Molly Kay had sailed out of San Francisco Harbor and gone down in the Pacific, and nobody wanted to talk about it. They were all too busy shaking in their boots and looking over their shoulders, scared to death. I was even beginning to look over my shoulder. Item four, 70 cents, taxi to the Embarcadero. Sure, I kept that blind date. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Here, keep the change. It was dark and lonely along the waterfront. The fog was down, drifting in off the bay, dimming the scattered streetlights with a damp haze and muffling the sounds of the city. Alcatraz, lost and hidden somewhere behind the murky, wet blanket, kept sounding its mournful warning across the water. And the night gulls seemed to cry out an answer to it. I crossed the siding tracks and headed toward Pier 29 and toward whatever was waiting for me there. Or whoever. The office and warehouse of the Brawley Shipping Company, owner of the Molly Kay, was about halfway out the pier. I'd been there earlier in the day and found it closed and locked. But there was a dim light burning there now. I headed toward it. Just about then, as I passed under the last wharf light and turned toward the office door, I started to get that old feeling. I'd had it before in other places. Once in the heart of an Orinoco jungle, in an alleyway in the Casbah of Algiers, one time in London, Soho, and again in Suez. Somewhere, close by, hidden by the fog and shadows, there was somebody watching me. I stood listening, straining to hear some telltale sound in the darkness. Nothing. But there were a dozen hiding places within a radius of 50 feet, and I wasn't fool enough to start searching them, not knowing what I'd find. I turned to open the door to the Brawley office. Get your hands up, Mac. He'd been standing behind a post right beside the door. Okay. Now, what are you prowling around here for? I was restless, couldn't sleep, and I love that foghorn. Wanted to get close to it. Knock it sort off, of... wise guy. This is a gun in your back, not a peppermint stick. Oh, don't say things like that. I faint easy. One more smart crack it. Wait a minute. Turn around toward the light. Sure. I'm always glad to apply. Just suck it up. All right, come on, let go no, of it. Stop it. You let go of that gun. You're going to break my... All right. It. Come on, get up, get up. Come on, on your feet. Okay, Dollar. So they're right about you. You are tough. Is that what they say? I've heard it around. Then how come you jumped me? I didn't know it was you, not till you turned toward the light. Just saw somebody was prowling around the office here. Who's there? What's going on? It's all right, Ellen. Dean, what are you doing here? I could ask you the same thing. Why, I just came down to do some work on the books and... Oh. This is that insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. Yes, I know. I... What do you mean, you know? I asked Mr. Dollar to meet me here tonight. Why? What are you up to? Nothing. I wanted to talk to him, that's all. Down here alone, huh? This time of night. Dean, suppose we talk about it tomorrow. Okay. That's the way you feel. Not a matter of how we'll discuss it tomorrow. All right. Oh, uh, the gun, Dollar. Do I get it back? Oh, sure. Here you are. 
Don't uh, let anybody take it away from you now. Don't worry. They won't. I'll see you tomorrow, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Come in, Mr. Dollar. I followed her into a suite of offices that were a lot plusher on the inside than they were on the outs. Mahogany paneling, leather chairs, rugs, sofa, an open fire burning, small but cozy, like the girl herself. So we talked. The weather, the fog, the weather yesterday, how we like San Francisco, sparring-type talk. Then finally came the tip-off that we were going to get down to business. Would you like a drink, Mr. Dollar? I poured scotch for both of us, and the clink of ice served as opening bell for the first round. Mr. Dollar sounds so oddly formal. Do you mind if I call you Johnny? Johnny it is. And you? Ellen Brawley. I guess I am a little slow in introducing myself. But it upset me. Dean being out there, I mean. And acting the way he did. You're Captain Brawley's daughter. Yes. As I told you on the phone, Molly Kay was my mother's name. Father thought the world of her. Broke his heart when she died. Later, he named his ship after her. And now the ship is gone, too. Yes. Ellen, what about this man you call Dean? How does he figure in this? Dean Sutton. He's an exporter. I've... Well, I've known him for some time. He's not usually the way he was tonight. Jealousy always makes a difference. Jealousy. Sure, it's stuck out all over him. He just does business with my father... It was his cargo that sank with the Molly Kay. Grain, bound for Japan. Oh, I see. I've gone out with him quite a lot, but he takes far too much for granted. I'm a free agent, Johnny. I call my own shots. Yeah, I guess you do. So tonight you call me. I heard about the hearing... How you questioned my father. Accused him of sinking his own ship to collect the insurance. I didn't accuse him. It amounted to that, didn't it? I said I was sure somebody had done it. He put the shoe on his own foot before I even had it out of the box. What makes you so sure? Oh, a lot of little things that don't add up. What little things don't add up, Johnny? Oh, this and that. Did you know your father put a heavy mortgage on the Molly Kay seven months ago? How did you find out? Bureau of Records, Maritime Division. Now when the mortgage comes due? Next month. He had to install new boilers. That's why he did it. And he'd have been able to pay it off after this last voyage. He'd also be able to pay it off after he collected the insurance and have a lot left over. You're wrong. You don't know my father. No, I don't. Do you know who holds that mortgage? A woman named Lu Tang. That's right. Been an owner of Shanghai, Lu. She owns a nightclub up in Chinatown. <laughs> Quite a girl. You know her? Very well. All right, Ellen. Let's quit circling around and get to the point. What's on your mind? I don't know. Nothing, really, I guess. I just wanted to tell you that you're wrong. About my father, I mean. If the Molly Kay was sunk deliberately... He had no part in it. I'll make a note of that, even though your opinion may be a little bit prejudiced. Well... Are you leaving? Might be a good idea, don't you think? Wait. Johnny. Yeah? I was... sort of hoping we'd be friends, maybe. Oh, I feel very friendly toward you. 
do you, Johnny? As much as, as much as this. That much, Johnny? That's uh, pretty friendly. I told you. I call my own shots. I know. But you didn't tell me you're engaged to Dean Sutton. I found that out from a newspaper file. It was all a mistake. It's his idea. I thought you always called your own shots. Don't go, Johnny. I promised you on the phone that if you came, you wouldn't be sorry. I'm not. Good night, Ellen. Outside on the pier, the fog was thicker than ever. The wharf lights were dim glows in the swirl of mist, and sounds, even close ones, were muffled and hollow. I couldn't figure Ellen Brawley, at least not completely, where she stood in this and the reason for the pitch she'd made. I left the pier and turned west along the Embarcadero. Mr. Dollar? Huh? Over here. Get out of the light. Evening, sir. You're out late, Mr. Hawkins. Well, I I was waiting around. I, I kind of wanted to talk to you. I saw you come in the taxi cab earlier. All right, let's talk. I hope you don't hold it against me, jumping up in the hearing room that way, but I was scared. Scared of what, Mr. Hawkins? I don't rightly know. That's the trouble. But there's something strange going on, Mr. Dollar, and it ain't safe for a man to let on he notices. The whole crew feels the same way. That's why they ain't talking about it. About what? Things that's happened, things that ain't been brought out yet. And I wouldn't be talking neither if Bill Mack hadn't been a mighty good friend of mine. Bill Mack. He was one of the two men who went down with the ship. That he did. May he rest in peace. But you're wrong, Mr. Dollar. There wasn't two men. Bill was the only one. What? That Chinese steward, Benny Wong, he didn't drown. He was in that lifeboat that got to shore. Then the men in the boat knew it. Why didn't they say so? They were scared to. He disappeared later, and they was all scared to say anything. I don't know what's happened to him since... Here, back of this wall, keep your head down. I crouched behind the concrete tide wall, my gun drawn, and peered into the darkness, trying to catch some sign of movement behind the blanket of fog, listening for some faint sound that might be the giveaway. Nothing. And to go hunting in those shadows against somebody who knew the waterfront would be about as healthy as stepping out in front of a truck. I gotta get out of here, Mr. Dollar. I gotta get away from here. Hawkins, wait. I ain't doing any more talking. And it won't do you no good to ask. They know every move a man makes. I I got nothing more to say. All I want is to stay alive. So that was that. Fear again. He was scared to death. And I couldn't very well blame him. That shot had come close. But there was one thing Hawkins hadn't thought of. I had. And I didn't like the thought. That bullet might not have been meant for him. It could have been aimed at me. Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this story. Thanks. Tomorrow night we find out that a dead man can tell a tale. It all depends on how he died. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. 
Written by Les Crutchfield, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, of course, uh, we know from listening to that Gerald Moore audition that this had been planned as the second story for some time. I did enjoy the Board of Inquiry scene at the beginning. It's a nice way to mix up how Johnny obtains the expedition and to do it in a natural way. I also liked Johnny doing the questioning but how they work to make it plausible. First, you had the reference to this being informal, and then you had the way that the request to ask questions was handled, recognizing the lack of official standing and leaving it up to Captain Brawley to determine whether he would submit to it. It made it feel more realistic than programs where the detective can walk in and even though not a licensed attorney, start asking questions with little fuss or bother. And I think that the idea of a pervasive atmosphere of fear and the few clues that have trickled out make for a pretty strong start to the story. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we turn to Instagram where uh, someone writes, I love Gerald Moore, but I couldn't agree with you more, no pun intended, on his qualification as Johnny Dollar. John Lund had a smooth world weariness. Can't wait for Bob Bailey, who I have not heard. Well, thank you so much. Appreciated the comment, and I really think you're in for a treat. I remember my first time listening through these episodes. It was actually before we did them for the podcast. I think it was 2010 that I decided it made sense to listen to something short as I was getting my computer booted up and getting started with my day. And I thought the 15-minute Johnny Dollar serials really fit the bill. And so my first time listening through them, I listened to one episode a day, Monday through Friday, 
for 58 weeks. And it really was a delight to hear all of these. And as a body of work, it's some of the finest audio drama ever made. And it's wondrous to really experience great work for the first time, whether it's a great book or a great radio show or a great movie. Although sometimes you do pick up some new stuff on subsequent listenings, I do think it's hard to beat the excitement of the first time really listening through. Thanks so much for the comment. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Ian, Patreon supporter since August of 2016, currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Ian. And that will do it for today. A reminder to be sure that you never miss an episode. I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back on Friday with the rest of this story, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... They seem to have unlimited manpower and equipment. Do you have any idea where they're holding this guy Sarvich, a prisoner? Oh, oui. I have been studying this uh, newspaper picture you brought to me. As you know... It shows a group of prisoners at work repairing a damaged river bridge. I recognize the bridge. It is slightly to the east of Dondang, near the Chinese border. I think you will find your man Savage in a prison camp in that area. I see. Uh, how many men can I have? Ah, that is the unfortunate thing. What? I can only spare you one. One? Oh, great. Oh, rest assured, I would like to cooperate with you to the fullest extent. But we have too few soldiers as it is, and with a constant threat from the north... Okay. Any ideas on how this two-man army is going to invade northern Indochina? Oui. Sergeant Luca. Yes, Commandant. Uh, come in here for a moment. Yes, sir. Luca is one of the best native non-commissioned officers we have. He knows the northern country like the palm of his hand. He will be your guide. Hello, Luca. I am honored, Mr. Mitchell. Luca will brief you on the plan to get in, Mitchell. As for getting out again... You know, I was sort of wondering about that. I want to keep this deal a round trip, you know. At midnight, the night after tomorrow, one of our torpedo boats will approach the coast at this point on the map. North of Haiphong, huh? Oui. The boat will come close into the beach and remain exactly 20 minutes. No more. Sort of cutting it close, aren't you? And uh, now, if you will come into the next room with me, Mr. <clears throat> Mitchell, I brief you on our arrangements for the trip north. Okay, Luca. Well, thanks for everything, Major Curry. Uh, I only wish I could do more. Well, I'll see you in a few days, I hope. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.